Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode 13 of Mama and the Rev. <laughs> Lucky 13. <laughs> Lucky 13. We have been talking about changing our name, the name of this podcast, to Mama and the Rev. As I said last week, I am not Mama. <laughs> and I'm not the Rev. <laughs> we do welcome you and thank you from the bottom of our hearts for joining us uh, from our website, from iTunes, Stitcher, Amazon, Spotify. We're glad that you are uh, joining us today, and we would love to hear from you. Our email address is in our show notes. Feel free to reach out to us and tell us where you're uh, listening from or some thoughts that you might have or questions. We will do our best to respond to those. Emily, thank you for joining us. What a, uh, a wonderful journey this has been. It's amazing the information that we have gleaned about the Holy Spirit. Did you think that it would have lasted this long? No, I thought maybe six weeks. <laughs> and some of you out there are probably saying the same thing. Boy, I wish this thing only lasted wrap six weeks. <laughs> it's about time to wrap it up. Uh, needless to say, uh, it has been longer than, than uh, six weeks. But that just goes to show a little bit about what's happening on the inside of myself. I don't want to speak for Emily, but you can in this instance, you can. Well, thank you. And <laughs> it, it has been it has been amazing to see how many areas of uh, our lives that the Holy Spirit actually touches, and how true it is that. The Holy Spirit is usually that fingerprint of God that most frequently is seen in the rearview mirror of life. Absolutely. So as you look back over this week, this past week, tell us where you have seen the Spirit work in your life, Emily. Well, I did have an aha moment Friday afternoon. Um, and Laura Marvette's our youth minister here at St. Paul. She and I had teamed up to go do a trunk or treat at a school at Truth Spring Foundation, or Truth Spring Academy, sorry. Um, we teamed up in our um, unicorn um, costumes to go do trunk or treat um, for Halloween. Unicorns? <laughs> unicorns. We were so cute. A fascination with unicorns. <laughs> Incidentally, my seven-year-old daughter just went not as a unicorn, but a catacorn this year. <laughs> Well, I have the unicorn head because my son was a uniturkey last year. <laughs> so I already had this <laughs> foam unicorn head in my possession. Uh, and it was easy because you say the popularity of unicorns to get Laura an outfit. Um, but we went down there and, you know, it, it was fun. So entertaining. I love kids in costumes. Um but we were down there and, you know, you think, okay, I have to be sweet. I have to be kind. I have to be, you know, approachable to these children. And because um, it's a little different than just being in the dark and going house to house with normal trick-or-treating. But I had to try a little bit harder. And that sounds weird probably to some people. But I had to try a little bit harder and make sure that I was being sweet and kind and, you know, <laughs> being Christ-like, <laughs> passing out candy. And then, you know, the rest of the day was, you know, my typical mom things that I was doing. And by Friday afternoon, I was so exhausted. I was just worn out. And Laura texted me and she was like, you know, what, you know, what have you got 
going on this tonight? You know, how are you? You know, how was the rest of your day? And we just started talking and I was like, you know, now I've got to drive to a football game, out of town football game, and we're not going to get home till, you know, after midnight tonight. And I just want to go lay down and close my eyes. And that wasn't an option. And she and I were just talking about it. And I was like, you know, being on and I'm kind of introverted, which most people don't believe about me, but I like to be by myself. And after I've had an afternoon and a day full of interacting with strangers or even with people I know, um, it's nice to be able to go home and sit down and be quiet and to kind of refresh that way. And especially on a Friday when it's been a long week and You've been busy and done a lot of things. But Laura and I were talking, and the more that we talked, I was like, oh, well, this is kind of what denying self is. And I thought, you know, I'm out of my comfort zone, and I'm doing things that I don't. It's not that I don't want to do them, but it's doing a lot of things (laughs) in a space of time that I wouldn't normally do. And all of those things have been brought about by this. Um, I mean, they're in direct relation to this study that we've done and in, in dig, digging deeper into who the Holy Spirit is and how he works. Because as I've been made more aware, more things have come up and I'm able to see, you know, where he's leading and what things I should be involved in. So it's been it's it's interesting to think about how what those like denying myself and how that leads into and how that even, I mean, you think, oh gosh, this has to do with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it does. This is exactly where the Holy Spirit comes in. So those moments where you talk about denying yourself, are they obvious moments where you realize that you're going through that at that time and you have to stop and identify that which is in opposition to the spirit's leading and deny it or is it more after the moment and seeing what god is has done through your exhaustion or through your hands and your feet and your words and your smile to whomever is there to receive it where do you see that that denying of yourself actually comes to the forefront of your mind well it depends Friday, it was after the fact. That day, it was after the fact that I realized, oh, why am I so tired? This is emotionally drained. I'm just drained. And sometimes it comes before where it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. (laughs) I don't want to go to this. I'm just over it. And now I think back, how many things have I said, no, I'm not going to go. I changed my mind. I'm sorry. I just can't make it. How many times have I backed out of something and and this morning I was thinking you know one of my favorite what's something that my mother has always said and it's from Matthew may your yes be yes and your no be no and I try to tell my children that all the time you know whatever we say we're going to do we need to do we need to follow through and do it we don't want to be people that when people think about us we don't want to be that well we don't know if those trotters are going to show up or not um, we never want to be that. We want to be the ones that people say, hey, you're, they're dependable. If they say they're coming, they're coming. Or if they say they're not coming, they're not. They're not just going to show up unannounced. <laughs> we want to be reliable. Um, 
So in some things, you know, when I've said yes, and then I've all of a sudden changed my mind and said, oh, I just can't. And sometimes the reason is valid. Sometimes there are things that really, for real, keep you from doing things that you've committed to or things that you feel like you should have gone. And then there are the other times where you're like, oh. And I guess on the other hand of that, there are times that you say yes and you go anyway, and maybe you shouldn't have. Um, But those are the two times. It's before or after. I've never really stopped in the middle of anything, I don't think, and said, or that I can remember, and said, wow, I'm denying myself right now. <laughs> so there, there is a connection then between denying herself and following the Holy Spirit. I think so. If you think about denying yourself, that has been a Christianized phrase. Yes. Denying yourself. But just think of it as an act of pushing something away for just a moment. It's like sitting in a restaurant and you have a very fulfilling meal. And this is somewhere after that commitment of the first of the year that you made of less (laughs) sweets. (laughs) And you're trying to hold it together and follow through. And, and the dessert cart comes, and boy, it all looks good. Caramel cake, cheesecake with strawberries <laughs> on it, bluebell ice cream. That's enough. Okay. <laughs> it all looks wonderful. And it's the denying of self is that act of no, not right now. It's not that it's bad. It's just no, not right now. This is not the right time. But it has been Christianized that phrase as something more than it really is. I mean, if you think about it, the way that we are wired, when we are under anyone's leadership, we have to deny ourselves. We have to deny our own agenda. No matter whose leadership we are under, whether you work for somebody whether you are in a family and you are the son or the daughter, whether you are the husband or the wife, there are times that, that we have to uh, submit to another agenda. And so anytime that we are under anyone's leadership, there has to be this denial of our agenda. And I think what a better way of thinking of denying ourselves, when, when we speak of when Jesus commands his disciples that if you would be my disciples, you must daily deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. A better way for me to look at this Christian, this Christian view of denying ourselves is to allow the voice of Christ to interrupt our personal agenda. It doesn't happen all the time. But there is this sense that we have to listen. We have to have our ear to the ground and we have to uh, be aware that there is this struggle within us. And how often do we examine our hearts at any split second moment for an attitude of self-reliance or that self-agenda that is ready to manipulate the voice of Christ through his Holy Spirit, to force things. You, you know, in ministry, salvation and growth are the works of God. 
And then we have to let go of our agenda and rely on the Holy Spirit to complete the work of growth and salvation. I remember early, Emily, in my ministry, even in youth that I truly believed that it was my words and my actions that ultimately brought people to Christ. And, and it, was, it was so heavy on my shoulders. It was a burden that I was carrying. Not until coming across the John 16 passage that and when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, he will convict the world of it's in, it, it's really not my job right. to do that. My job is to be faithful. My job is to to subvert my own agenda and to conform my kingdom to God's kingdom. I mean, why don't Christians place the Holy Spirit higher on their agenda? I don't know. That's a really good question. <laughs> It has to do something with that struggle that it's yeah. so real. Yeah. That struggle well, was so real. And I think too when we when you finally are passionate about what you've learned and wanting people to know the Lord and wanting people to experience the Holy Spirit that burden is natural, I think, because I think that we feel so much pressure to come on. Come on. Just come, just do it, please, just do it. And I think it's easy for us to get to that. Like you were saying, it's easy for us to feel like it's up to us. Um, and yes, we are a huge part in bringing recognition and glory to the Lord. We are so um, integral. I mean, He lets us be a part of that, which is just phenomenal to me. He lets us participate. I, yeah, I mean, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Look, if I was writing the story of Scripture, I would have done it a lot differently. Many of us would. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also so refreshing and so, oh, good. <laughs> they didn't get it right either. <laughs> how, how wonderful. I don't have to get it right all the time. Um, but I read something in, in this Francis Chan forgotten book. Forgotten book. That's not it. Forgotten God. Um, and it said, would you be willing to take 30 seconds right now just to dwell on the fact that God is in you? And he says, this is not a distant, loose connection. This is the spirit of God choosing you and me to be his dwelling place. That means that as I write, the spirit of the living God is inside me. I might wake up on a particular day feeling physically tired or stressed or impatient. And humanly speaking, those things would probably define my day. But the reality is that I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And because of this reality, stress and tiredness and impatience don't have to define my day. And I read that and I was like, oh, well, there you go. We kind of forget about that. This burden that we have to do, we do it and forget that we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside us as believers. And that's another thing that Christians, I think, say, oh, well, your body is a temple. Treat it as such. It's a hard concept to grasp, but when you think of the Holy Spirit is dwelling <laughs> in me, 
then you go, oh, well, yeah, of course I'm a temple. And so when you get back into Romans 12, 1, where he's saying, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That makes it so much easier to say, okay, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me. I am, in fact, a living temple. I can be a living sacrifice. Therefore, you know, so you look in verse 2 of Romans 12, and it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That gives us all the tools we need, right? Mm. <laughs> when we think of it that way, when we think of denying and this is this is not a new concept in scripture or, or a new concept for us. This is something that is permeating through the New Testament. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, you are therefore a new creation. Yeah. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, you have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who lives, but Christ that lives inside of you. And even to the, the church in Rome, Romans chapter 8, that spirit, this spirit that lives in you, Paul wants to give a little perspective about the spirit. It's the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. That's okay? right. Just imagine that for a second, okay? Yeah, take if, that moment and think about that indwelling. <laughs> for the next 30 seconds. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. It has such transformational power in knowing and believing and living into this. Yeah. And just imagine what you might be able to do on your own agenda with your own power. It will always be in the shadow of what God can do through us using his spirit. That's right. When we're tired. <laughs> it, there is this this war. Not only does uh, scripture talk about this indwelling of the spirit, this reality that it that is ours, but it's there's also this war, this struggle that goes on over and over again in Galatians chapter 5 verse 17. Paul writes, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, it's easy to read that and say, okay, you mean, Paul, you don't want me to do the things I want to do, like enjoy the sunshine, to go for a bike ride. No, 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 no. In the context of this passage, Paul was talking about those things that we do through the gift of the Spirit, living in the Spirit, that are for God's kingdom, and that we really want to do, but we find this struggle that pushes and builds a wall around us saying, no, nah, maybe I can do that later. Maybe that's not what I need to do now. Uh, for instance, you think about the moments where God has put someone on your heart and the struggle that goes on within us, man, do I reach out to them? Do I call them and say, God has put you on my heart? What's going on? Can I pray with you? And those times that we do, we hear back a lot of times, I know for myself, man, thank you. I have been struggling and I needed a reminder of God's presence. 
the struggle. We want to do these things for the Lord, but our own agenda, our own priority list comes into effect or comes to the forefront, bubbles up, and we end up not doing. So when Paul says the struggle that this, that the uh, the flesh has, it keeps us from doing what the Spirit has for us, from following the Spirit's agenda. And that is so very real. I was in a Bible study one time by a sweet, saintly lady named Rosie, and she talked about this passage in Galatians, and she referred to it as raven versus the dove in reference to Noah when he sent out the raven and when he sent out the dove. And the raven represents the flesh, because what does a raven go out and get? Flesh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of that yucky... <laughs> That yucky when the raven went out <laughs> and didn't come back, it's because it found something to <laughs> eat on, I guess. And then yet the dove came and couldn't find any resting place for his feet, so he came back. And then he left again, and he brought back an olive branch. And then he left, and he found a home, so he didn't come back. And Noah knew then that it was fine because a dove wouldn't drop down into anything unclean and yucky because that's not the nature of the dove, but it is the nature of the raven. And that's like our flesh and our in the spirit. Um, that tension that you like to say of what we want to do and what we know we should do <laughs> and how do we decide in each moment which path to take. But I was reading this down even further in in Galatians, in verse 22, when he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I noticed, because of Francis Chan, again, he's my new buzzword here, I guess, that it says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. And how many times is that spoken of as the fruits that you get them one at a time. And so I was thinking, you know, gosh, we make things so much harder on ourselves because we pray for, oh, God, give us this, give me this, give me patience. Gosh, Lord, in this situation, help me to be kind, help me to be loving. And we don't realize that all we need to do is pray for the Spirit and that He will give us the fruit that we need in that moment. And I use this analogy with the high school girls Bible study that I'm leading. So shout out to the Sunday girl gang. Um, And they approved of this analogy. It's like saying, you know, I'm so hungry. I'm starving. And someone hands you an apple and you take one slice and that's it. You don't take the whole apple and use it. You just take that one bite or that one slice and move on, and you're still probably hungry. So what you're saying is is that we want, in the moments that we can identify, we want more self-control. We want more, and we identify, God, what I need is self-control. But by us just asking for patience, it's like us not even seeing, maybe I need to be more loving also. Maybe I need to have more self-control also. Maybe I need to be more gracious also. That's amazing. Well, and to say, too, 
God and the Spirit, they know what we need more than we do. And we may think, hey, I just need patience in this situation. I don't need anything yeah, God, else. Hands off, okay? <laughs> just a little patience. And incidentally, just about 17% more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't ever pray for patience, people. <laughs> You'll get what you... <laughs> You'll get opportunities yeah. to grow You'll, that Yes, strength. don't ever do that. <laughs> I don't like that fruit. Um, I mean, gosh, we think we know what we need. And we haven't a clue most of the time, would be my guess. Because how much easier would it be to be patient if you just loved somebody a little more? Or if you had a little bit more compassion? Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's easy to, <laughs> easier to love people that are deserving of that love, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, God. Put me around people that are loving to me. That Those people are really easy to love. Yeah. There, there is, once again, back to that denial of self. And if we're hearing what the Spirit is, is doing and and nudging inside of us, what we are more aware of not our instincts, our own agenda, our own brokenness, but we are more aware of that which God is doing and speaking through us. It's why we should be memorizing scripture. Yeah. It is why we should be studying God's word. Those are the words. I mean, Jesus said, I will send the Spirit in John 14, and he will remind you of everything I had told you. Yeah. If we're not aware that we should love our neighbor, how do we expect, if Jesus said he will remind you, Yeah. you can't be reminded of something that you're not studying. Yeah. You're not putting into uh, practice. I saw a cartoon that uh, was Jesus preaching to a group, and he says, love your neighbor. And somebody from the back goes, even Gary? <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus says, yes. And somebody else was like, yeah, Gary's a jerk. <laughs> and he says, guys, we've been over this. <laughs> love your neighbor. <laughs> it, if we look to the world... To validate loving your neighbor. Yeah. Does the world validate that within us? Is that the message our kids are hearing? Is that the message we are hearing that we should uh, love our neighbor? Well, and doesn't... The world's um, not telling us that. No, and even the Gentiles love the people that are nice to them. But most people want validation from the world that they are following God. Yeah, but this is the battle we do with ourselves. Will we follow God? Will we believe God and what he says about us is true? Or we will we believe the label that people put onto us? Can you imagine the people of Scripture? What if Noah listened to the people's judgment for validation of what God was calling him to do? And that was to build a boat. Yeah. Which the story of Noah, I mean, we hear it when we're little and we think it's all about this flood and two by two, the animals two by two. But when you go back as an adult and you realize that the earth had never seen rain, it had never once rained. They didn't know that was an option. And for Noah to start building, I, 
I don't know what you're talking about. Water from the sky. <laughs> what? <laughs> to have that faith and trust. No wonder Noah was considered righteous. And talking about denying yourself, he did it. He denied his comfortable, his status in the community, because everybody was like, that guy has lost it. He's talking about water from the sky, and I just don't know what that means. I can imagine when they were walking down the street on their sidewalks, and a family, a mother and a father with their kids, saw Noah coming. They probably like, okay, I, we, our kids got to get away from this guy. This guy is classic crazy. Yeah. But guess who ended up being right? <laughs> Noah. Yeah, and just imagine if he listened to the people for validation. I mean, in some sense, we all have to get to a point where we individually believe we are who God says we are. That we are worth the death of his son to save us, to redeem us, to atone us. Mm-hmm. Mark Batterson talk, talking about blessings, talking about um, what God can do. He writes in one of his books that there are categories that we have not yet defined of God's blessings, of God's grace, of God's mercy. We categorize everything. We want to put it in little boxes, but there are categories that we can't even imagine yet. And scripture talks about that over and over again. The way God sees things is so different than the way we see things. Yeah. It's just the same as he knows our needs. He knows when we pray for one thing. Don't you know that sometimes he's like, I wish you'd ask for this. Then you'd see this. You're limiting yourself. You're limiting me. You're limiting what I can do. Gosh, and that is even the call again for denying yourself. And that all takes such faith, such belief that and trust that God is who he says he is. And his promises are yes and amen. So for 30 seconds, if we would just stop and listen for the Holy Spirit for 30 seconds, just just stop in the moment, wherever we are, wherever we find it. Maybe it's in our frustration with so-and-so, with Gary. <laughs> Gary. <laughs> Maybe it's our frustration w- that we desire recognition, or lack of recognition. Maybe it's our desire to have things fall neatly into place, which I am guilty of so often. To stop for a moment and say, what are you saying, God? What are you doing? I went through the ordination process, ten, started almost 20 years ago, and finally was ordained in uh, about 10 years ago. But part of that process was after seminary, a master's of divinity, there is this vetting process. You write about theology, you write about the living into this, what it looks like in ministry, and you have case studies, and, and you go before people, groups of people that, that vet you. And, um, and I remember the last segment, the last group of people, they, um, they said no to me. <laughs> I was just going to say, what happens? My word, that must be so devastating. It, it, it was. And, and I started writing letters that I never sent. 
<laughs> I wanted justice. Yeah. I wanted to let them know that the wind was taken out of my, my sails at that time. But, but that was my agenda. Yeah. You know, we go back to when we are under the leadership of anyone, there is this subversion of our own agenda. Yeah. And I remember going through, I had to go through another couple years before I could go back or another year. And during this year process that I would go back to this uh, vetting board again, they put me uh, together with a veteran minister. And I remember going to his office and I was driving there and it was not close, about an hour and a half, two hours away. And I'm fussing and fuming the whole way. <laughs> it says a lot about me. I'm being vulnerable to you all. I've dealt with it since then. but <laughs> It still seems like it might be a little tender yeah. to the touch, John. <laughs> yeah, only to this point here. When I went into his office, I remember the first question he asked me. Where is God in this? Hmm. And the invitation was stop pushing back and making this all about you as an individual. Yeah. What is God saying to you right now? And that is the invitation that we all have. It may, may be even more dramatic um, and more personal in your life as an individual. It may be less, but it's ever so real of a battle that we have to come to a point and say, honestly, where is God in this? What does God want me to do? Because I really believe that there are these internal nudges that are inside of us that in our faith journey, that when we say yes to these internal nudgings, faith and our relationship with Christ and our embracing of, of the Holy Spirit's power, it becomes so exciting. I'm not going to confess or even attempt to convince you that this is the way it is always for me, because a couple weeks ago, I told you, I have not obeyed all the time. <laughs> I have pushed back. I have made it about me a lot. But it's in that rearview mirror where I have seen the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit living uh, in my midst that I go back over those moments and say, man, this is real so that I can live more attentively to what God is doing. And you'll pray harder. In those moments, you'll you'll seek God. You'll you'll recall those passages of of Scripture, and here's why: because when the expression of faith intersects with God's faithfulness, something happens on the inside, and you'll never be the same. Amen. It's that moment that becomes a stake in the ground. That moment that becomes a defining moment, that moment becomes emotional for us. And the result is that it's not just within you. It impacts all those that you come in contact with, even those people that you have to be, impa that you have to be patient with. Yeah. 
why are you patient with me? Why did you forgive me? Why are you like this? And we can always go back to, because it's God who lives inside of me. I have crucified my agenda. I have crucified myself. And I know that it is Christ that lives within me. We will always have people that will push back on the validity of Scripture, push back on theology, but they can never push back on the validity of what God is doing inside of you. So listen to those nudges. Paul talks a lot to the Philippians about them. Well, he talks a lot to all of them, all of his letters. Um, But the Philippians passage that talks about the incarnation of Christ, it's just so beautiful. It's chapter two. I I can't read all, I mean, I I can't read all of this. (laughs) But... Verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was crucified, and therefore his flesh was crucified, but the Spirit lives. And that's what we're called to do as well, is put to death those parts of us. Um, Carrie Strickland of Truth Spring Foundation, she, this passage is part of her testimony for them starting at the Highland uh, Community Church. And she says that she really, when it started to make a difference to her and when she really got on board with what the Lord was calling them to do, she realized that she had to put to death the dreams and the aspirations that she thought that she had for her and her family and what she thought her life would look like and put those to death and take up what God said their family life would look like and what they would do and where they would be. And that is such a picture of what we have to do. You know, and Paul says that we have to do everything without grumbling or complaining, that we have to keep doing, keep going. We have to think of others over ourselves. We have to tell the message. We have to keep going. We have to keep working. Um, and he says further on, it says in chapter th- um, verse 13 of chapter 2 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And then 14 is where he says, do, no- do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Just imagine if that was the way everybody who calls themselves a child of God acted. Right. That is a utopia point of view. Yeah. But maybe for us, it's that next thing that's on our mind. That next thing that where we're showing a lack of patience, where we are showing a lack of trust, or maybe we're just following the validation of what people say about us. And we, uh, our faith and our hope and our trust is in the people around us, especially what they say. And we are listening to doubters rather than listening to God. 
if God is for you, if he is given us his spirit, the same spirit that has raised Christ from the dead, if that is the same spirit within us, if God is for us, then who is against you? If God says it's so, then it's so. If God says you are forgiven, then you are forgiven. If God says you are a child, then you are a child. There's no place that we can go away from that. That's right. And God has said all those things. I'm thankful that he keeps on saying it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That he says it in spite of me. That's right. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We're so glad that you're with us. We're so glad that uh, we have an opportunity to have your ear for a moment. Our prayer is that it is always from God. And our prayer is that if it's not from God, whatever we say that is not from him, that it would fall to the ground and shatter. But what is from him, that it may be woven into the very fabric of who we are. May God hold you in the palm of his hand and remind you that you are his and he is yours. God bless.